Pastor uh, Randy Frazee shared this with his congregation several years ago, and I quote, My mother was dying. I went to God and made a special request. By her bedside, I prayed 50 times. I counted. 50 times, I asked God to grant my request. I did this because I had studied the teaching of Jesus on prayer. He admires someone who knocks on the door continuously. This gave me the notion that if I knocked continuously, eventually God would arise from his seat and fix my problem. I asked God specifically to give my mother one of two things. The first of my request was my desired request. The second was a concession. The first request was that he would give my mother 18 more years. I prayed 50 times. God give her 18 more years. Or I told him, take her today. I asked for 18 more years for a particular reason. Number one, my mother was 62. And 18 more years would make her 80. I thought that was a good round number. But more specifically, my oldest brother just had a baby girl. I thought it would be great if my mother could see her graduate from high school. This request did not come out of the air as it might sound. I received the request from a creative prayer that was done by a man named Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 20. In 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1 through 6, Hezekiah lies on his deathbed and prays to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says. I have heard your prayer and have seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord and I will add 15 years to your life. And I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. 
God heard his prayer, saw his tears, and gave him 15 more years. Now, I asked for 18. But he didn't give me 18 more years. Not even 18 months. Not even 18 days. Within 18 hours, my mother had passed away. I had to ask myself the question, what's all that about? Does God not love me? Have I not served him like Hezekiah did? Did he not see my tears when I turned my face to the wall and wept bitterly? Why did God come through for Hezekiah and not for Randy Frazee? End quote. These kinds of questions are are tough questions. They are honest questions. They are real questions. And they are the kind of questions I know many of you have asked of God because life for you did not turn out as you had expected or God did not come through for you as you may have hoped. And you are left feeling frustrated and confused and hurt. This morning, we're going to look at a man in the Bible who can most certainly relate. Who, just like many of you, was facing some very difficult and troubling issues. Issues that did not seem to be right to him. Issues that went way beyond his control. And like us, he had some real honest questions for God. So if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk. I'll give you a few moments to find it because it's not a well-known book. And if it helps, it's toward the end of the Old Testament and it's sandwiched between the books of Nahum and Zephaniah. Does that help? Yes, no? Okay. <laughs> I'll, give you a, I'll give you a few moments. Habakkuk. Are you there? Okay. Habakkuk is considered a minor prophet, meaning his book is short in length. Only three chapters long compared to the major prophets such as Isaiah and Jeremiah whose books are very lengthy. That's why some prophets are considered minor And some are considered major, simply because of the length of their books. But all are are important because we know all scripture is inspired by God and is given to us for a reason. Okay? When we think of the ministry of a prophet, 
minor or major. We imagine that the prophet receives a message from God, and then he speaks to the people on God's behalf. That's what we tend to think because that is what largely happens. But in the case of Habakkuk, we are not told he speaks to the people. Instead, we are told he speaks to God about the people. Unlike any other prophetic book in the Bible, Habakkuk records a conversation about God's people between one man, Habakkuk, and the Lord God Almighty. And in a roundabout way, we are given an opportunity to listen into this conversation. Now before we go any further, 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 I need to give you some historical background information so this will make some sense to you. In Habakkuk's day, the promised land was divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, known as Israel, which was made up of ten tribes, and the southern kingdom, known as Judah, which was made up of two tribes. In 722 BC, the northern kingdom, Israel, had fallen to the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were the, we might say, the bullies on the block at that time, and they were a vicious bunch known for a cruelty and a brutality that is really hard to fathom. If you recall, they were so terrible, so wicked, that Jonah ran away from God because he did not want to deal with these Assyrians. Now the southern kingdom, that being Judah, had formed an alliance with their neighbors to the south the Egyptians, to to make a stand against the Assyrians. But the Assyrians were just too strong. And in 701 BC, Judah eventually was defeated and became a slave nation to the Assyrian Empire. Until they later fell in 612 BC. After the Assyrians fell, Judah was now on their own as a nation, at least for a short time. They had an evil king named Jehoiakim. And the people under his rule had become wicked and violent and corrupt. And Habakkuk didn't like what he saw. He didn't like what was happening in his nation. He knew it was headed for disaster. And he complained to God. Or more accurately, as we will see in a moment, he took the chance to complain about God. Habakkuk, like Job, 
is one of the few who was given the chance to complain about God's decisions and God's behavior. And it's all recorded for our benefit. Amazing. So let's follow along beginning with verse 1. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 1. And we are told the oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. Let's stop right there. This passage starts with the word oracle. Which in Hebrew means a burden or a heavy load. This oracle is a vision or a message from God, but it's also a heavy burden for Habakkuk. Once God opens his eyes and his ears to understand what is about to happen. In other words, God gives Habakkuk this prophecy. God reveals the future to Habakkuk. And it's such a heavy thing for Habakkuk to deal with. So let's listen in as Habakkuk begins some honest questions for God. He prays beginning in verse 2, and listen to this. How long, O Lord, will I call for help And you will not hear. I cry out to you violence. Yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity. And cause me to look on wickedness. Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Let's stop there. In this passage, Habakkuk reaches out to God because he is troubled by what he sees. And he begins by saying, how long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? He gets right to the point, doesn't he? I think for many of us, Habakkuk is speaking our kind of language. Lord, I've been praying to you day after day for a long, long time. I've been crying out to you, pleading to you, but it seems that you're not listening. It's like I'm talking to the ceiling because nothing is happening. Habakkuk is being honest here. And fortunately, he feels he can cast his cares and his anxieties upon God and even share his frustrations and his complaints about God. 
And here is the amazing thing. God wanted all of this written down for you and me to see. God is big enough to deal with our complaints. And I think more importantly, God wants us to know that we can come to Him with open and honest hearts. Even hearts that are troubled because of Him. So don't shy away from God. Don't be afraid to come to Him. Well, Habakkuk continues. And in essence, he says... Lord, now mind you, he's speaking about Judah, not America. (laughs) This is what he says. My words, Lord, this nation is in shambles. It's falling apart. It's full of violence and corruption and wickedness. It's full of hate and anger and fighting. The righteous, your people, Lord, are suffering and the wicked are prospering. The nation has rejected you. Your law, your word, God's word is completely ignored and the legal system, it's a joke. Lord, this nation is falling apart. There's so much evil in it and you aren't doing anything about it. Lord, If you are good and you're in control, then why does it appear you simply don't care? In a nutshell, that's what Habakkuk is asking. Because he doesn't understand why God appears to be so distant, so unresponsive, and so unconcerned about what's going on. Habakkuk prays and prays, and then he prays some more, and yet there doesn't seem to be an answer from God. He prays and prays, and the situation doesn't get better. In fact, it seems to be getting worse. And he's crying out. He's screaming in frustration. God, why are these terrible things happening? Do you hear my cries for help? Why do you force me to look at all of this disturbing filth and violence that's around me? How long, O Lord, is it going to take for you to do something? To Habakkuk, maybe it seems that God is up there in heaven with his arms folded, just watching. Maybe he's too preoccupied with other things or other people and doesn't really care about his own people. 
Again, Habakkuk is being honest with God, isn't he? Absolutely. But who who here hasn't asked similar questions like this of God? Or at least thought them when facing your own difficult and troubling circumstances. Lord, why is this happening? God, where are you? Why don't you do something? Sound familiar? Sounds familiar to me. I suspect we have all asked questions like that of God at one time or another. Well, God is gracious and patient with Habakkuk. And he responds. Listen to what God says beginning with verse 5. This is God speaking. Look among the nations. Observe. Be astounded. Wonder. Because I am doing something in your days. You would not believe it if you were told. Let's stop there. Habakkuk thought that God didn't care and wasn't involved. But God has seen everything. And unbeknownst to Habakkuk, God was already working on the solution. In fact, God is going to do something that will shock Habakkuk when he hears about it. God told Habakkuk to open his eyes. To take a good look around him. To see the big picture. There's something much greater at stake. There's something bigger going on. And Habakkuk... It's just not all about you or your part of the world. Your view is limited. So you need to pay attention here because I'm doing something that you won't believe when I tell you. Now taken by itself, taken this verse by itself... Those words might lead Habakkuk to think that God is going to do something glorious like sending a righteous king to lead the people in a godly direction or by sending a a sweeping spiritual revival that will rid the nation of wickedness and bring them back to God. That would be awesome. And God is going to send something. But it's not a righteous king. Or a spiritual revival. That Habakkuk may have hoped for. Let's see what God is sending. Look at verse 6. For behold. I am raising up the Chaldeans. That fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. 
Let's stop right there. Without explanation, God drops a bombshell on Habakkuk and gives him a very surprising revelation. You think it's bad now? You think it's bad now? You haven't seen anything yet. You wanted me to do something? Well, here it comes. Trouble is coming. And I'm raising up the dreaded Chaldeans, also known as the Babylonians, whose empire will change the face of the known world. Habakkuk had pleaded with God to deal with the wickedness in Judah, to fix the nation, to do something about the problem. But as we will learn next week, Habakkuk didn't want God to intervene in this way, not with the Babylonians of all people, which brings up a couple of good points. What God does may not sound completely reasonable to us. But if you think about it, that should be expected. God said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. And secondly, don't make the mistake of assuming your plans are the same as God's plans. For most likely, they are not. God was planning to punish his own people with a godless foreign nation. Now let's put this this shocking news about the Babylonians in perspective for us for a moment. We pray about our nation, don't we? We pray about our nations on Wednesday nights. We pray about America. And we ask God to fix our nation, do we not? But imagine after praying to God, he says to us, yes. I'm going to bring Hamas and Al-Qaeda into America to attack and destroy your nation as punishment for your wickedness. How would you respond to that? I assume not well. And in a sense, that's what God is telling Habakkuk. That's why it's such a heavy burden to him. I mean, this sounds like the worst case scenario for Judah. And need I remind you, this is God's doing. He said, I am raising up the Chaldeans. He's raised up the Babylonians. So make no mistake, God is in control here. So who are these Babylonians that God is raising up? Let's see how they're described by God and so burdensome to Habakkuk. Look at verses 7 through 11. This is God describing the Babylonians to Habakkuk. 
They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings and rulers. Are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. They will sweep through like the wind and pass on. But they will be held guilty. They whose strength is in their God. Let's stop there. I think it is fair to say that the Babylonians are not the friendliest bunch of folks you would want to meet. Just guessing. They were an arrogant people who recognized no higher authority than themselves. As far as they were concerned, they were the law. They were the law, and they followed their own code of what is right and what is wrong. They were a power-hungry, wicked people who loved to terrorize their victims. They were like wild pack animals, predators whose speed and power brought a violent and merciless end to their prey. The Babylonians are coming. And there was no hope of stopping them. Even the Assyrian Empire, the previous bullies on the block, were crushed by the Babylonians. They're coming like a fiery whirlwind, consuming everything in their path, and they will gather prisoners like the sand. Too many to count. They're going to march upon the land, upon Israel and Judah, and they will laugh at your kings, and they will turn your strongholds and your fortresses into rubble. They will give credit to their own gods for defeating you, and you will not be able to stop them. Oddly enough, this trouble was predicted by Moses some 800 years earlier when he spoke to God's people as they were preparing to enter the promised land. Moses told them back in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 49 through 52, he said this, The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar. From the end of the earth as, an, as the eagle swoops down. A nation whose language you shall not understand. A nation of fierce countenance who will have no respect for the old nor show favor to the young. 
Moreover, it shall eat the offspring of your herd and the produce of your ground until you are destroyed. Who also leaves you no grain, new wine or oil, nor the increase of your herd or the young of your flock until they have caused you to perish. It shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted come down throughout your land. And it shall besiege you in all your towns throughout your land which the Lord your God has given you. God had warned His people time and time again about their wickedness and their idolatry. But they just wouldn't listen. Beginning with Moses, then prophet after prophet, God's people were clearly warned, but they ignored the warnings. God sent natural disasters and plagues and droughts. And various military defeats. But the people still wouldn't lessen. And instead of repenting. The people hardened their hearts toward God. And now God. Now God's patience is tried. And it was time for him to intervene in this way. God's people. Are going to reap. What they have sown. They sowed a wind with their wickedness and idolatry. And as a consequence, they will reap a whirlwind raised up by God. Does this mean that God does not love his people? I guess if you're on the receiving end of his punishment... From that perspective, it may seem that way. But the truth is, from God's perspective, God is madly in love with His people. And His actions actually prove it. We're told in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 12, For whom the Lord loves, He reproves. Even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. As God brings judgment and punishment upon his own people, even at the hands of the Babylonians, it must be seen from the perspective of God's love. For this action is a reminder that God has not given up on them. God has not abandoned His people. And He has not given them over to their sinful lives. Instead, God loves them as a father. He is still working in their lives, even through punishment. And He's proving Himself to be true and faithful to His Word. Even faithful and true regarding His warnings of trouble against them. So it's a matter of perspective. 
we are challenged to see our trouble from God's point of view. A point of view that must be seen in the context of His great love. Especially when facing our own Babylonians. Otherwise, we find ourselves seeing our trouble from our limited and skewed point of view. Questioning and doubting God. Assuming He no longer listens and assuming He no longer cares. Been there. Now there's one more thing I want to, I would like to say to kind of challenge your perspective on God's working in your life. Back in verse 5, God tells Habakkuk, look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were God tells Habakkuk to look past himself. To look beyond his part of the world. For there is something bigger going on. Something greater at stake. Habakkuk was only seeing part of the picture. For his perspective was very limited. The other day, I was reading something from Pastor Ray Stedman, which I found very insightful. And I want to close with this. I want you to listen real carefully. He said, when it comes to understanding what God is doing in the world, we are like ants on a Rembrandt painting. Just picture that. Ants crawling on a Rembrandt painting. Are you with me so far? Okay. We crawl across the dark brown and think all of life is dark brown. Then we hit green and think... Oh, this is better. Now, all is green. But soon comes the dark blue. And then a splash of yellow. A streak of red. And then another patch of brown. On we journey from one color to another. Never realizing... That God is actually painting a masterpiece in our lives using all of the colors of the palette. One day we will discover that every color had its place. Had a reason. Nothing was wasted or out of place. Just as there is a time and a season for everything, there is also a color for every stage of life's journey.
when the painting is finished, we will discover that we were part of his masterpiece from the very beginning. It's just a matter of perspective, isn't it? It's a matter of perspective. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love and your mercy. I thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you that you haven't given up on us. You haven't abandoned us. You haven't given us over to our sinful desires. Instead, you are working in our lives even sometimes through punishment, even sometimes through trouble, difficulties, you are working in our lives. You are turning us into a masterpiece. Father, help us to trust you. Help us to trust you and the... <laughs> in the dark browns of our lives, in, in, the, in, the, in the blackness of our lives. Help us to obey you. Help us to be the kind of people you desire us to be. Help us to love you. May you be honored and glorified in all that we do. All that we say, even in our thoughts, may you be lifted up. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So my message started out with some pretty difficult questions. Did I give you answers? No. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think maybe before we get to answers, we need to nail down some truths. That what God does in our lives has to be seen in the context of His love for us. Not anger toward us, not hatred toward us, not abandonment against us, but always in the context of His love. It's a matter of perspective. And then as we go through the difficult times, as we go through the trouble, as we experience losses, hard losses in our lives, it still has to be seen in the context that God loves us. He has a plan for us. He's, he's conforming us to be more like His Son. It has to be seen from that perspective. God's perspective. Not our limited, skewed perspective. God is always working in our lives. Always working. He hears our prayers. He sees exactly what's going on. He knows your burdens. He knows your cares. He knows your sorrows. He knows, he knows it all. 
but he's doing something bigger in our lives. And my guess is, if he dealt with us like Habakkuk and said, you know what, I'm going to tell you what's going on. Probably blow our minds. I'm just amazed that God allowed this to be written down. Habakkuk is complaining to God, and he's complaining about God. God knows. God surely knows that you do not agree with every decision he has made. He's in control. He's sovereign. He does what he does. Period. And he knows you may not agree with everything he does. He knows you may not like his behavior. He knows that. He can handle that. But we have to understand he sees the big picture and we do not. And because he sees the big picture, we need to trust him. Even when it's hard. But he knows. He knows. I hope God was working in your life this morning. I really do. I hope this message resonated with you. We have, we have three more weeks in Habakkuk and hopefully we'll get to some of your, some of the issues and some of, some of the answers to your questions. But if God is working in your heart this morning, I just pray you'd respond to him. However that might be. Just respond to him in obedience. He loves you dearly. He has not abandoned you. He actually desires the best for you, even though sometimes it is hard to see and hard to understand. We have to trust him and take him at his word, right? Even when it's hard. Let me uh, close us in prayer, and I'm going to pray for our offering this morning and also for our our fellowship uh, afterwards. Father, I I thank you for uh, bringing us here this morning. Lord, I just pray that uh, your words would just would resonate with us, Father, and that you would just uh, draw us closer to you, um, even when we don't understand you. Father, draw us closer to you. Help us to trust you. Father, I thank you for giving us an opportunity to take part in your ministry through our tithes and offerings. Father, bless uh, what we give. Bless those who give. Help us, Father, to give with a cheerful heart. And Father, help us as a church to use your money your resources wisely. And Father, for our fellowship as well, Lord, I pray that you would bless those who have prepared uh, the food, those who are working in the kitchen. Father, I just pray also that uh, uh, our time would be a joyous time. Bless the food. I pray, Lord God, it would just nourish our bodies. May you be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.